to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. As we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, we get to another point where Jesus changes directions uh, in the sermon. In Matthew chapter 6, he's going to cover a subject that we're going to cover tonight that um, is controversial. Well, I shouldn't say controversial. It's probably uh, more uncomfortable than it is controversial, especially for pastors. Pastors, uh, at least me, I I can't speak for all pastors, but I I personally don't like preaching on money uh, just because I don't like money. I, 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 I just hate money. And uh, those of you that know me know that that's true. Um, and so uh, I don't have a problem giving away money. It, it is just not a problem. Um, but for a lot of people, uh, it, is, it is a big problem. Um, but anyway, Jesus is going to talk about money today. Uh, and so, oftentimes, I think what happens is we live in two worlds. We live in a secular world, and as believers, we live in a spiritual world. And I think that oftentimes what we do is we try to keep those two worlds separate. And when it comes to money in particular, we put that in the secular world. That's why um, the when it talks in, in the Bible talks about money and so on and so forth, it's almost like, no, 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 that's secular. That's I need money to pay my bills. I need money to uh, to buy stuff. I you know and and you know the, leave leave my money out of this. And I think, I think in, in a sense, that could be what, what happens. I don't know. <clears throat> I'm going to make a statement here. And I, I have talked recently, particularly with Lawrence, about this. But this is the statement. <clears throat> the more money you have, the easier life will be. <laughs> How many of you believe that statement? Raise your hand. Okay. <clears throat> Nobody raised your hand because it's not true. Because what happens with the more stuff you get? The more responsibility you have. You know, uh, I I have I, I know someone. I, I wouldn't call them friends. They're acquaintances, but they are in the pattern of life where they're accumulating stuff, toys. And they both work, and guess what they do on their days off? Well, they maintain the toys after they go and play with them. They have to bring them back, clean them, you know, do all the maintenance on them. They're, it's, it is a, I, I, I watch them, and I'm just, I'm just in amazement by how consumed they are with things. But the more you have, the more it takes to keep up what you have. How many of you have ever bought a house? And 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 <clears throat> you know when you when you rented something broke, what did you do? 
Call the landlord. Well, what happens when you buy a house? You are the landlord. <laughs> so you call the electrician. <laughs> or the plumber. Or the roofer. And they say, okay, that'll be about $10,000 to fix your roof. And you just... you. <laughs> I said fix. I didn't say replace, okay? <clears throat> I, I read an interesting article. I want to share part of this article with you um, because it, it goes along with what I, I believe Jesus is trying to communicate. <clears throat> the headline is this. Hobby Lobby founder says he's giving away his company because wealth is a curse. He wrote an article, uh, the Hobby Lobby founder, David Green, announced Thursday, uh, October, excuse me, he announced um, through an uh, op-ed October 21st on Fox News that he was going to give up his company, uh, that he chose God over wealth. God created, um, excuse me, God credit. I'm trying to read too fast, excuse me. Green credited his fast and higher power as the true source of his success, noting that God was the true owner of his business and felt that passing the company down to his children and grandchildren wouldn't be were, uh, excuse me, would have been the wrong move. Green wrote, as my, as my company grew, that idea began to bother me more and more. Well-meaning attorneys and accountants advised me to simply pass ownership to my children and grandchildren. It didn't seem fair to me that I might change or even ruin the future of my grandchildren, whom I've not even met yet. That's, a, that's an incredible statement. He went on to say this, wealth can be a curse. And in most cases, if you drill down on it, wealth is a curse in terms of marriage, children, and the uh, things that are, uh, that, uh, things of that nature, excuse me. Uh, He said, uh, so we're stewarding our company and therefore our children come to work and they get what they earn. I want that. I want that to sink in for a little bit. I mean, this this guy. Uh, I read somewhere that he was worth like twelve billion dollars. Something crazy. I don't. I don't know if that's right, but it, it, it's it's a lot of money. And he's just walking away. Can't take it with you. That's right. Warren Risby wrote this. We are accustomed to divided life into the spiritual and the material. But Jesus made no such division. In many of his parables, he made it clear that a right attitude toward wealth is a mark of true spirituality. The Pharisees 
were covetous and used religion to make money. If we have the true righteousness of Christ in our lives, then we will have to, uh, excuse me, we will have a proper attitude toward material wealth. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6. Let's start reading in verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he <coughs> will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, to share the word, to learn and to grow through it. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, and that you would strengthen us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of my message tonight is this, The Burden of Wealth. <clears throat> the Burden of Wealth. Because it is a burden. And, and what Mr. Green said is, is true. It can, it, can, it can ruin people. Unfortunately, I've seen it too many times. I think that's one of the reasons I hate money so much. A USA uh, article, a USA Today article, asked a question, how rich is rich? According to a survey of people who ought to know, the answer is $1 million to $5 million in assets. So people that should know the answer to the question, how much, uh, how rich is rich, said between one and five million dollars. That sounds reasonable, right? Investment managers, um, Newberg and Bergman, whatever, um, sponsored the survey of people who stand uh, to give and receive inheritance or uh, median household assets of 500,000. Paradoxal, paradoxically, 55% of those who assets range from $1 to $5 million don't consider themselves wealthy. Exactly. It's like, it's like uh, how old is old? The older you get, the older old gets. Right? <laughs> I want, you, I want you to think about this. <clears throat> think about your life right now. Right, right now. 
which is a heavier burden in your life right now? The secular distractions being bills, people, things, or the spiritual dis- uh, demands, giving, praying, and fasting? Which, which of those two things is a greater burden in your life right now? I'm sorry? Most people that I have found over the years, the secular carries a heavier weight. It's the thing that carries us down, pulls us down, emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. Those of you that know me know that I'm very transparent. And I'm going to share something with you that I am not proud of. Uh, this morning, if you were here, you, you, you met uh, Janelle. Uh, Janelle uh, came and played the piano for us because Ashley's out of town. And we took her to lunch. And, and uh, my wife and Janelle and I are sitting there talking. And she's asking, you know, how things are going. And <clears throat> so we were telling her some things going on in our lives right now. And, and she says, well, tell me, some, tell me a blessing that God has done in your life. And I wanted to punch her right in the nose. Recent, recent. recent. She says, tell me of a recent blessing. That God, and I wanted to just... Why? Because I, I was having a great time with my pity party. And I had to sit there. And I, honest, and I texted her and I apologized to her. And, 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 but I had to... I had, we went home and I had to sit in my chair and I had to think about it. And God slowly started working in my heart, in my life. And reminding me of some things he's done recently. But what happens? We allow, we allow all the pressures of the world to come into our lives and to, 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 to drown out the preciousness of God. And we allow those things to just consume us to the point where your point blank asked, hey, tell me a blessing that has happened recently. And I had to stop and think about it. Shame on me. And I had already written this sermon, so I couldn't, you know. Phillips, <clears throat> John Phillips wrote this. The desire for material things is strong and subtle. After all, we live in a material world. We are surrounded by material things. We have to handle them. The key to acquiring them seems to be money. It can buy so much. Whether or not we will be distracted by money will be determined by certain choices that we have to make. And that's what Jesus is, is talking about here in this, in, this, the, in this Sermon on the Mount, verses 19 to 24, making choices. Where am I going to invest my life? In the secular or in the spiritual? Now, God gives us common sense to save money and to be wise with money and, and so on and so forth. But when our trust 
becomes the almighty dollar instead of Jesus Christ, then we've messed up. Jesus tells us something very precious in Matthew chapter 11. He never promises to, to remove our burdens that come into our lives. The promise, that, and we're going to read it here in a minute, the promise in Matthew chapter 11 that he, he, he gives us is that as we have burdens in our lives, he will help carry the burdens, not take the burdens away. Please understand that. Jesus never says, hey, well, let's read it. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, let's stop right here. What What is the prerequisite for that very precious word, rest? To come. You have to come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the, the, the prerequisite to rest is the fact that we come. Verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. Again, what is the prerequisite for rest? Taking his yoke. Now what, what is a yoke? Other than something that's in an egg. Okay, okay, oxen. It, it would be it would be used in in that day. Oxen would have been the ones pulling pulling carts and different things, and they would have a yoke. And there would be a yoke would in, include two oxen, not one. So Jesus is not saying here, let me give you the yoke, and you now can pull your burden with my yoke. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. In other words, he will help pull the load. Now, Angie is more in tune to this than I am, but I've done some study on this and I think I'm right here. When you put two oxen or cows or whatever, horses, whatever, yeah, whatever, mules, same thing, you usually have one that's dominant and one that's kind of a follower. It's kind of a pair that they, you have the one who is typically the one who, who does the majority of the pulling or steering or whatever. And the picture here is that Jesus is going to carry the, the majority of the load. But who gets to, who gets to, to carry some of the load? We do. We still, the, the burdens are still there. But the promise is if we will give it to him, then he will help us pull the load. And he'll do the majority of the pulling. That's the picture. Look at verse, <clears throat> verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus never says that he will take away our burdens. That you get saved and life is going to be 
uh, uh, just a bowl of cherries. I don't know where that phrase come from, but it, you, you know what I mean. No more problems. You're going to get saved and everything's going to be great. Everybody's going to love you and everybody's, it's going to just be great. No, that's not what happens. Life still happens. I don't know about you, but I want him to help me carry my loads. And I spend some time today giving him some burdens. And I praise God for that. I don't have to do it on my own. Because you know what happens when you do it on your own? You get tired. You get discouraged. Now, I, I do want to make one thing absolutely clear here, okay? Nowhere in Scripture does God ever magnify poverty or condemn wealth, okay? People that have money, more power to you. I, I wish I would know some. Most of us common people, you know, Poverty, nowhere are we told to get rid of everything so that we could be poor. That's not the point. The point is to manage or to use wisely and godly what he gives us to manage. And if, according to the passage we just read, our investments are in heaven, what can go wrong? I found this quote, and I've, I've, I don't know where I found it. It's, it's an old quote. I don't know who said it. I just, it. It's just an old quote that's been around for years. It's not wrong to possess things, but it is wrong for things to possess us. And I think that's where Jesus is getting to. The burden of wealth can be a heavy burden if we choose wrong. In our passage that we read here, verses 19 to 24, Jesus deals with three different elements of our lives. Our heart, our mind, and our will. And we're going to talk about the heart tonight. <clears throat> Point number one. The heart. Freedom or slavery? Because really, that is, that is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. David Green, the owner of Hobby Lobby, is worth millions. But he was free from the burden of money. Why? Because money was a tool that God gave him, and it was just a tool to use. I personally know people that have very little money but want money so desperately that the burden of wealth is absolutely destroying them. 
See, the burden of wealth has nothing to do with your checkbook or your savings account, but it has everything to do with your heart. See, God is after your heart. And everything Jesus says in this passage has to do with the heart and the heart attitude. Materialism is something that enslaves and captivates people. Again, it doesn't matter what your checkbook looks like. It is an attitude of the heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. We cannot afford to put our faith in the things of this world. Why? Because the, the things of this world are going to go away. Moths and rust, you know, moths are going to eat it up. And rust, we'll talk more about that later. But, you know, thieves break through and steal. It's just temporary. Colossians chapter 3 Verses 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. The word set here means to... to um, it has to do with your, your vision. And it's, it, the, the idea here is to set or to, to focus... On, on, on a particular point. And he says here, set your affections on things above. Focus or be, be, be concentrating on that one thing. Don't, don't allow the things of this world to distract you. I want to spend some time looking at two very famous New Testament figures. Turn over to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Two very famous couples. The first one, if you're familiar with Acts chapter 5, is Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, from, my, from what study I found, were, they were a wealthy couple in the early church and what was happening in the early church is that there were the believers were suffering severe persecution and the church that Ananias and Sapphira were a part of were were selling possessions and they were giving them the, the the money or the proceeds to 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 believers that were under heavy persecution and that were literally starving to death and Ananias and Sapphira, again, from what I've were able to understand, is they were probably would would have been considered wealthy at the time, and they decided to do something. Well, let's read Acts chapter one. Excuse me, Acts chapter five and verse one <clears throat> it says, "But a certain man named Annas." with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, um, his wife also being privy to it. 
and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, uh, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine, thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own, uh, uh, in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, uh, uh, would him, uh, uh, yeah, excuse me, wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the same, excuse me, about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in and Peter answered uh, unto her, tell me whether he sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. And then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed uh, together to tempt the Spirit of God? Behold, the feet of them that have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her and buried her with her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Now I have a question here. Why did why did why did they die? Did they die because they did not give all of the money? Okay. See, the key here is what Peter says to to Ananias. Hey, it was your it was your property to do with what you wanted. You could have sold it for a hundred times what you what you sold it for, but and but you lied when you presented it to God and, and you said, "Here we're giving all, we're giving all," and lied to the Holy Spirit. And God took them out. See, the problem wasn't that they held back. The problem is they lied about how much they sold the property for. That's the problem. The next couple. Well, let let me say this. Ananias and Sapphira lost their focus. The second couple I want to talk about. Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, says this. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to uh, Corinth. And would a certain Jew named Aquila, born in uh, Pontus, uh, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius was 
uh, had uh, commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because it was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought uh, and wrought or worked with them um, for by their occupation they were tent makers. So Paul, prior to being a uh, Christian killer, was a tent maker. Okay? And <clears throat> God saved him and he became a preacher of the gospel. But Paul had to be bivocational for about a year and a half uh, during the early church. And he he met up with uh, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, and <clears throat> uh, they the three of them started a tent business, and they they worked together. And after a year and a half, Paul God called Paul away, and guess who he took with him? Priscilla and Aquila. These two people have become the standard or the hallmark, if you would, for Christian hospitality. Because think about this. How long, how long had Paul or Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, how long had he been saved? Not long. Do you think, you, do you think the Christian community still was scared of him? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely they were. But what did they do? They opened up their home to him. And Paul became family, so to speak. Their passion for Christ and their hunger to know Christ more only reflects in the fact that Priscilla and Aquila had a great desire to, to help Christians grow in their faith and their walk. Paul's last reference to them was when he was in prison writing a letter to Timothy. <clears throat> Timothy, had, by this time, was pastoring a church in Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla were members of that church in Ephesus. And this is what Paul writes Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. Salute Priscilla and Aquila and the households of Onesimus. Isn't that awesome? Here you have one couple that lost their focus and God killed them. And you have another, you have another couple that kept their focus on Jesus Christ. And, and, and at the end of Paul's life, he acknowledged them in the last letter that he wrote to Timothy. In the in the let's look at let's go back <clears throat> to um, Matthew excuse me Matthew chapter six In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Lay, up not, lay, up, <clears throat> lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and and where thieves do not break through and steal. So in these two verses, there are two descriptions. Most people would look at this and say there are three descriptions, but there's really only two descriptions of, of things that Jesus is trying to communicate here. There are things in our lives that come into our lives that we invest our time and our money in that either corrupt or theft. Where moth and rust doth corrupt or thieves break through and steal. So let's talk about corruption for a few minutes before we're done before we get done. Corruption in the Bible is often linked to infection, decay, or uh, de- decomposition. De- decomposition, thank you. Decomposition. A couple examples. Psalm chapter 38, verse 5. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my uh, foolishness. Acts chapter 13, verses 36 and 37. For David, after he had uh, served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he uh, whom God raised again saw no corruption. That's obviously Jesus. Um, but so, so corruption is always talking about um, disease, infection of some sort, or decomposition. Uh, 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 so that that's kind of the picture here, and 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 that's the picture that Jesus is drawing here. That uh, moths and rust corrupt. And what happens with infection? Okay, it, it can eat the flesh. Is 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 infection content? Staying in one place. Okay, it spreads. What about what about decomposition? Does it does it spread? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so what is the picture here that Jesus is giving the, the his listeners on the Sermon on the Mount? What does what does moths and rust do? In the in a, in a person's heart and life, it rots it, and that rot spreads. And then he uses the word theft, or thieves break through and steal. the The idea here is theft is to to take something away or to <clears throat> excuse me to lose it forever. Okay, if if. Hopefully this doesn't happen. But if you were to get home tonight and see that your house was broken into, there is a hope that they might catch the person who stole whatever they stole. There's a hope for that. Not likely, but there's a hope for it. But what happens? We have insurance that replaces things. Right? But that's not the point here. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that Thieves, when they break through and steal, it's gone forever. And you're never getting it back. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not 
but to, for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that <clears throat> they might have it more abundantly. So what is, what is, in John chapter 10, what is Jesus talking about here? Who is the thief that comes to, to steal, kill, and to destroy? Satan. Satan. I've said this many, many, many times. Jesus, or, or excuse me, Satan is not wanting to make your life miserable. He is wanting to destroy your life. And when we get consumed with things, they will either be consumed by corruption or theft. They'll just disappear. Sitting out at the lake the other day, we were where we were sitting, we could see we were there was a harbor right there, and it was just full of boats. And and I, I just I looked at Melanie and I thought I said, I wonder how much that boat costs. And it's a big boat. I mean that that's a big boat. Big enough to have a cabin underneath, you know, down below. Because you could see the portholes and stuff. I said, Man, that's a lot of money. And then I started counting and I'm like, Man, there's a lot of money in Tahoe. <laughs> you know, and then I said, I said, I wonder what it was like 300 years ago. I bet this lake was just as peaceful and quiet. But here you got speedboats flying around doing all this stuff. It's crazy. But all that stuff, it's just, it's just stuff. If we can get our focus off of the things of this world, what can we have? Think well. Well, let, let me let me let me rephrase that. What is Satan out to steal or corrupt in your life, in a very practical sense? What does he want? to steal or corrupt in your life. Okay, your heart. But that's kind of a general thing. I, I'm, what specific? What um, I, I came up with uh, five, five four. Okay, the first one is joy on my list. Peace, contentment, relationships, faith. See, these are all things that, that Satan wants to destroy in your life. But if we will cast our burdens on the Lord, guess what? These things can be part of our lives. Satan cannot destroy our joy. He cannot take away our contentment. He cannot take away our happiness. If our focus is where it needs to be. Jesus very carefully here tells his listeners how 
not to lose precious, precious investments in our lives. I read another quote. I don't know who said this again, but I, I, I read another quote. It says, the measure of wealth, measure wealth not by the things you have, but by the things you have for which you would not take money. You know, it's an interesting thing. I don't know. I, I'm sure those of you that are my age or older, have most of us have de- dealt with this. A parent that dies. My, my mom and dad, have, in the last year, they both have died in the last year. And we are going through the task of going through all their stuff. And <clears throat> the other day, we were in my mom's office going through some stuff. And we came across a little plastic airplane. Now, to you, you may not think anything about that. But Melanie picked it up and she says, do you want this? And I said, absolutely, I want that. Because my mom was an engineer for McDonnell Douglas. And she, she, was, she was on the, the first engineering team for the DC-10. And it was a little plastic model of the DC-10. That thing is priceless to me. It, it, it's probably worth nothing. In fact, I know it's worth nothing. But it's worth the world to me. And when you start going through stuff, it's things like that that you, you say, I, I want that. And I'm going to put it in my office at the house. And, and when I look at that, obviously, I'm going to think of my mom. But it's those things that are precious to us. What are you holding on to tonight? Jesus very clearly tells us, you know what? If you're holding on to the wrong thing, the burden of wealth will consume you. Again, let me read you the headline to the article that I read read you earlier. The founder of Hobby Lobby said this, wealth is a curse. Again, wealth has nothing to do with the amount of money you have in the bank, but the heart. What are you investing in? What are you, what are you investing in? The first point, we'll, we'll, we'll get deeper into this burden of wealth next week. But point number one, freedom or slavery. Because that's what you that's that's exactly what Jesus tells us. It's either going to set us free or it's going to it will become slaves to it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, I am so thankful and grateful for all that you do. Lord, we ask that you would uh, speak to our hearts through your word, that you would encourage us, that you would help us to grow and to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, a couple of announcements very quickly. Um, <clears throat> go ahead, do your thing. Stand up, stand up.